go to school to equip ourselves to earn it. We commit most of our life, 40, 60 hours a week, trying to earn it. I believe we spend countless hours discussing how we're going to handle it. We walk through malls and stores deciding how we're going to spend it. And we get caught up more than probably any of us want to admit worrying we're not going to have enough of it. Dreaming, scheming ways that we could acquire more of it. We argue over it. In fact, a lot. It's the number one reason for marital discourse. And we despair over losing it, which has been off the charts the last couple of years. The love of it is responsible for many of the crimes in our society. The erosion of ethics in business, government, even in families. And the absence of it has caused many of society's nightmares. Some have said it is the root of all evil. Some have called it a means for great good. And here's what I think we can all agree on. The fact is that we cannot afford to ignore the importance of money and finance. You know, I heard about a guy the other day got out of the shower and he's like, Honey, it is just too hot to wear clothes. What do you think the neighbors are going to think if I mow the lawn in the nude? And she said, Probably I married you for your money. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've learned through the years, I've been in ministry for a while now, and. There are three topics that you get kind of the deer in the headlight look that I can talk on. I can talk on death, I can talk on sex and money. So I want you to take a breath, relax, and I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, don't worry, he's not talking on all three today, all right? (laughs) You know, the Bible, it, it tackles every conceivable issue that affects people's lives. And finances is one of those. In fact, God knew that finances would be at the core of our lives, that we would struggle with it. That's why there are more than 2,000 passages in the Bible on the topic. In some shape or form, they they talk about money and finances. Two-thirds of Jesus' parables referred to money and finances. In fact, Jesus talked more about finances than any other topic. More than heaven and hell, he talked about money. And today what I want to do is look at how do you manage money? How do you manage money the way God intended? Because here's what I figured out. If you do not learn to manage your money, it'll manage you. You know, Solomon, he wrote the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. He's been considered the the wisest And he was the wealthiest man that's ever lived. In other words, Bill Gates or uh, Warren Buffett, pick your poison, they all pale in comparison to Solomon. Solomon was a little bit like E.F. Hutton, and I know I'm dating myself. How many of you know what I'm talking about, E.F. Hutton? You know, they always said, you better listen if he speaks. Well, when Solomon speaks, I believe we should listen. Because he has a lot to say on finances. 
And he's going to give us kind of a financial foundation, and that's what I want to do this morning. A foundation, I believe, that's easy to understand, but it requires discipline. It requires hard work. It's hard to implement sometimes. But it's a foundation when it's in place. It leads to financial freedom. Now, Solomon says, if you're going to build a strong foundation financially in your life, it starts with keeping good records. Scriptures say this. It says, be sure you know the condition of your flock. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not, what? Endure forever. Now, you have to understand, in the day that Solomon was speaking, most people, their wealth was in cattle and in sheep. Solomon's speaking to to his culture and his day. And he's saying, you know what? You need to know what you got. Today, it's not cows and sheep, unless you're a farmer. But Solomon's point is still the same. You have to know your assets. You have to know your liabilities. You, You need to understand the condition of things in your life need to know what's coming in, what's going out. You need to keep good records with that. It's just a basic principle of accounting that we're talking about here. And that's a starting point. You know, it's being aware of what's happening. How many of you have ever made the comment, I don't know where my money goes? All the teens are going... You see, money doesn't talk... It just leaves very quietly. And if you're not careful, money will sneak away in a heartbeat. Proverbs 23, 23 says, Learn the truth and never reject it. Get wisdom, self-control, and understanding. Solomon says, you have to get to the truth of things. You have to spend the time, the the energy, figure out what, what you've got, the condition of things financially in your life. In other words, you've got to figure out where your money's going. And this goes against the, the modern-day mentality that we have. And it's something like, oh, I desire that. Oh, easy credit. Oh, ownership. And we, we get caught up in that. And he's saying, get some records going. You need to, to write down things. You need to, to keep track. You need to get the facts of what's going on in your life. You need to know the truth. And here's the key. He says, never reject it. In other words, he says, don't deceive yourself about what's going on in your life financially. You know, there, there are four things I believe you should know about your money. You need to know what you own, what you owe, what you earn, and where it goes. And you've got to write it down. And I know as I say that, some of you are going, well, Damon, you know, I... I really don't have time to to write it down. I don't have time to keep good records. It just takes a lot of of work. And I would argue with you that if you don't, do you really have time to worry about money? You know, it's the trade-off. Knowing where where you stand, I believe, eliminates a lot of hours uh, of worry and frustration. doesn't get rid of all of them, but I think it eliminates a lot of them. It's a huge benefit, keeping good records. 
And keeping good records, part of that, that foundation is also planning your spending. Planning your spending. You know, setting goals for yourself, for your family. In other words, so that you know ahead of time where your money's going to go. You know, financial freedom, I believe, is possible. But it requires a plan. In other words, you can't fly by the seat of your pants, so to speak. Solomon, he writes, he says, plan carefully and you will have what? Plenty. If you act too quickly, you will never have enough. How many of you have figured that one out? That's, that's true. Financial freedom, hear this, is not determined by how much you make. It's not. It's determined by how much you spend. That's the determination. We, we, we work at this all backwards. We think, oh, I'll be financially free if I could just make more. But that's not the problem. It's how we're spending it. The, the average American in our society spends six hours a week in some type of shopping-related activity. Think about that. Studies have shown that the more educated people are, the more they shop. It says, if you act too quickly, you will never have enough. Impulse buying. That's acting quickly. I I see it. I I want it. I got to have it. I'm getting it. It's what every commercial, every ad on TV, it's geared to get you to get it now, get it quickly, do it, do it as quick as you can. Advertisers have kind of a code word that's, that triggers that, that impulse buying. Do you know what the word is? Sale. Sale. You can't resist it, can you? It's on sale. I'd better buy it now. I've got to have it now. Look how much I'm saving. It doesn't matter. You don't need it. It's on sale. What is it? I don't know, but it was on sale. You know. One of my grandkids, I was in the store, and they go, they wanted this, they wanted this. And I go, do you know what it is? And they go, no. You know, it's like, but we're like that. In our minds, we're thinking, if, if I don't buy it now, it'll cost more later. It's what people call claustrophobia, you know. Solomon says wise people live in wealth and luxury. Boy, he's going to get hard here. But stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. Wow. It's God's IQ test with finances. It is. How do you pass the test? How do you resist how do you spell relief in this environment? Well, it's B-U-D-G-E-T. Budget. Budget. It's simply planning your spending. It's telling your money where you want it to go instead of wondering where it went. Spending gets out of hand. A budget helps reel you in. I believe you ought to pray. Uh, about your your budget. I believe you've got to ask God for for wisdom. If you're married, uh, it should be something that you sit and talk about. You develop a plan, and it should be a mutual decision. 
Sometimes people don't know how to start. They're no idea how to put a budget together. Well, don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, get someone that knows something about putting a budget together. You know, get, get, get a budget that, that actually works. And get this, without using credit cards to make it work. You know, those plastic people eaters that are out there. You know what kills me, and I've watched for, for years, people get, get their credit cards, and things are getting tight, and the credit cards, they start going wild, and they, and they throw them down on the water, and they, like, get on them, and they're floating around on their credit card. You know, things are fine. Water's a little deep, but it's good. Yeah, it's going good. Well, thanks to Master Charge. Yeah, I, I really can't afford that. Oh, yes, I can. Thank you, Visa. And, and friends, we're on this American Express buying things we absolutely can't afford. And many times we don't need. And, and the credit cards, what you find over time, they're not flotation devices. In fact, they'll drown you. In fact, as the waters are getting deeper and deeper and you're getting further and further at sea, what, what you will find is one day it is not a flotation device. No, you're going to find that they're pla- plastic piranhas and they'll devour you. Budget. That's what we're pushing at here. Budget. And then do it without credit cards. It's so, so important in, uh, in our society today that uh, we learn, learn to budget things. Contemporary English on this verse, it says, Be sensible and store up precious treasures. Don't waste them like a fool. The verse is making a, a comparison between opposites. People that are, are wasting money, spending everything they have, not storing it up. What's the opposite of spending? Saving, saving. Solomon says, you want to build wealth, you don't waste, you don't spend everything as fast as you get it. You've got to start, here's foundation three, saving for the future. In other words, storing up for the future. Again, modern mentality is spend everything that you get. I want it now, even if it means that I've got to go in debt and put it on the charge card. I want it now. Saving goes against that grain, doesn't it? But it is the way to move toward that financial freedom in life. You know, there's scripture, um, I'm going to read part of it here, but it says, you lazy fool, look at an ant. Watch it closely. Let it teach you a thing or two. Nobody has to tell it what to do. All summer it, what? Stores up food at harvest. It stockpiles provisions. So how long are you going to laze around doing nothing? Then there's a very poignant question. And he says, do you know what comes next? The answer is, he says, just this. You can look forward to a dirt poor life, poverty, your permanent house guest. A lot of people read that, that verse and they go, oh, it's talking about just being lazy, not going to work and doing anything. But the verse is driving at that idea of saving, storing up, that most people don't want to go through that process because it means you've got to be working at it. 
You gotta work at it. You, you have to set savings goals for yourself. You have to set spending goals. You have to set giving goals in your life so that you know ahead of time where the money's gonna go. I was reading a magazine on demographics and they were talking about baby boomers. How many of you are a baby boomer? How many of you don't know what you are? <laughs> Get this, baby boomers. Most baby boomers are broke at retirement. It means they have not saved a penny coming into retirement. A lot of them are in the negative, not saving, spending it all, spending it all. Got to have it now. I mean, what, what motivates us to spend at that level? I mean, why, why are we never satisfied? Why, why are we always craving more in our lives? And I believe you've got to take this one on because if we're going to get a handle on our spending, if we're going to plan what we spend, I think we've got to address something that's much deeper. I think you've got to address a monster. You've got to be aware of the envy monster. And this isn't something you see at Halloween. This is something that is in all of our homes. It makes its appearance in America on a regular basis. In fact, I would bet you this morning, for some of you, you've already seen the envy monster today. You know, it's that mentality that you've got to keep up with the Joneses. And, and when that envy monster appears in your life, you start thinking different, don't you? You think, nice watch. I need a watch like that. Yeah, at least my phone's better than theirs. Hey, great, great car. And then in your mind, you're thinking, I need a car like that. I'm a good person. I deserve something like that. Honey, we're going to the car lot tomorrow. I'm getting a new car. It happens all the time. It happens in malls, happens in neighborhoods, it happens in schools, it happens in offices, even happens in church. People compare. And here's what happens when you start comparing. Inevitably, doesn't matter, you pick your poison, you pick the thing that you struggle with, the thing that you maybe think you have the best of, I guarantee you, somewhere along the way you fall short. No matter how much you got, you, you start comparing, and at some point you become envious. That's what comparing does. That, that envy monster kind of fuels the spending. Oh, my car just doesn't look good anymore. Oh, I need a bigger, better home. I need this or that. And the list goes on and on and on. In fact, I believe you'll never get a handle on things until you slay that monster in your life. Solomon says, you need to learn to save for the future. Save for that rainy day is what my dad used to tell me. There's a fourth piece. If you're going to save for the future, you've got to learn to enjoy what you already have. It's a principle of contentment. In fact, it's a principle that is violated all across our country in this kind of jet-set, debt-set crowd. 
where we got to have and we got to have and we got to have. Solomon says it's better to enjoy what we have than always wanting something else because that makes no more sense than chasing the wind. He says you might as well just go chase the wind. If, if you don't get a handle on enjoying what you've got, you'll never save. And more importantly, catch this, you will never find real joy in your life. You, you will find that is elusive. Why do we spend? Why aren't we content? Well, I think our media does a good job teaching us a myth. And it goes something like this. Having more will make me happier. Friends, if, if that was true, the person with the most stuff, the most money, would be the most happy, right? That's obviously not true. Don't misunderstand me. It's fun having money. It's fun having stuff. It might even alleviate some stress in your life. It might create stress as well. But it is not the key to happiness. You know, every year I'll watch for the wealthiest Americans. Forbes puts it out. And I like to read through that list and see how, see how it shifts and changes. But I will tell you that I rarely, when I look through that list, do I go, wow, that person just is genuinely happy. In fact, most of the time, not always, but most of the time, there's a tragedy. I mean, it's kind of sad at points. And I want you to know that if you are expecting things, stuff, to satisfy you, you need to watch out because when you get on that roller coaster, it's a horrible ride. You know how this goes. How many of you, when you get a new thing, whatever it is, you bring it home, and at first it brings happiness, doesn't it? And then the payments come. <laughs> no, I mean, it wears off. It wears off. That, that thing that you prized, at some point, you don't prize anymore. And then you need to change it. You know, you need it faster. You need it bigger. You need it better. And it's consuming. And I think the only way that you conquer that mentality in life is learning to be content. Proverbs says it's healthy to be content. But envy can what? Eat you up. Be content with what you have. I like the way the, the writer of Hebrews says this. It says, don't be obsessed with getting more and more material things. Be relaxed with what you have. Ah, I'm happy where I'm at. This one uh, devours you. I watch people, they get so busy trying to get more that they don't enjoy what they have. And they think about this. It's a little madness going on. Because what happens is people get overextended. And what do you do then? Well, you work your tail off 
so you can make ends meet because you're overextended. Home life begins to deteriorate and people get exhausted and irritable. And the home life's falling apart. And we're so busy making a living, we don't have a life anymore. We have absentee parents. Hear this. Kids do not need more things. They need more time. And I know as I say that, someone's going, yeah, but I give my kids quality time. That's a cover-up. I guarantee you, if I were to go to your children, and I was to say, would you rather have quality time or quantity time with your parents? I guarantee they would say they want the quantity. Unless they're upper teenagers, then that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> now, you need, I, I, have, I have a thought that part of the reason as they get older, it's a natural thing that they break away. But I really wonder if they haven't figured out they're really not on your radar very good. And so they don't enjoy spending time. See, they don't want just your undivided attention. They don't have to have that all the time. I believe kids want you around. They, they need the quantity. And, and I know how the rationalization goes. I know, we're, we're, we're hustling right now. We're really putting it pedal to the metal trying to keep up with the payments, trying to hold things together, but, but it's temporary. It'll settle down before long. Who are you kidding? Temporary habits become permanent lifestyle. Your yearning will always exceed your earning in life. You're always going to want that next level if you don't deal with this. You're always going to want to push it to the next frame. It's not a temporary situation. Some of you have been saying it for 20 years. We're going to slow down. We're going to slow down. We're going to slow down. You still haven't slowed down. It is a setup, friends, for a permanent lifestyle. Someone said one time, use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. That's learning to enjoy what you have. There's one more foundational principle. And that is, give God back what belonged to God in the first place. If you've been around this church very long, you've heard me talk about a 10-10-80 plan. You know, where you return to God the first fruits. You pay yourself 10%, save it. We've talked about that. And you live on 80%. In other words, you become content with the 80 and people ask me all the time, anytime I've talked on this topic, I'll have someone come up and go, hey, Pastor, why did God say 10%? And I'll always say, I don't know. I do not know why God said it. But God could have said 50% or 70% because it's all God's. And after they kind of picked themselves up and have went pale. But you think about it, we're really returning to God what belonged to God in the first place. And obviously, God doesn't need our money. 
And here's what I think. I think the 10% gets at the heart. It represents our heart, my heart, your heart. We spend so much time thinking about how to earn it and how to invest it and how to make it and how to save it. And we're thinking about it and it just defines us. Solomon says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first and the best part of your income. Then your barns will will be full and your vat will overflow with fresh wine. I've said this. You pick anything in your life, and if you want God to bless it, you put him first. In other words, if you want God to bless your family, you put God first in your family. You want God to bless your career, you put God first in your career. You want God to bless your finances, you put God first in your finances. You want him to bless your time, you put him first in your time. Whatever you put God first in, God promises He blesses. It's just a given. Analytically, that even makes sense to me. Because He's God. God wants to be first. Therefore, if I put Him in that first position, don't you think He's going to leverage and do what He needs to do to keep me moving forward and keeping Him first? You know, I've said that I, I believe the tithe is an expression of gratitude. It's thanking God for everything I have, and it's understanding I'm a steward of it. I don't own it. I'm not an owner. God owns it. And I also think it's a trust. It's saying, I trust you, God, to take care of me in the future. You know, Cindy and I, early in our walk, and I don't know why, but God just read through his word, and I'd go, okay, God. And it was tough, but early in our lives, both of us made commitments that we were going to give God the tithe. And when we first got married, it wasn't a question. It was just a reaffirmation for us. And we just said, you know what, God? We're giving you the first part before anything else. And here's what we figured out early in our marriage. Because once in a while... We'd let our brain kick in, and we'd go, you know what? need to take care of everything else, and then we'll pay God. And what, what we found was that we never had anything left over with that. And so early on, we just shifted our mentality, and we said, you know what? If there's going to be a debt in our household, it will not be a debt to God. We've honored God with that through the years, and I can tell you there have been times when we've had plenty. And there have been times when we have been wanting. There have been good times and bad times. But I can tell you that God has absolutely seen us through. Always. Not a question mark. And I believe it's because we've honored God in that area. And I know many of you, we could go around the room and some of you would give your testimony to the same thing. My point is, whatever you put God first in, God always blesses. God always blesses. Malachi says, bring the full amount of your tithe to the temple so that there will be plenty of food there. Put me to the test and you will see that I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out on you in abundance 
all kinds of good things. I will not let insects destroy your crops, and your grapevines will be loaded with grapes. This may be a poor analogy, but I really believe that it's when we're faithful with that, it's kind of like an insurance policy. And it's saying, God, I'm going to put you first here. And God says, okay, I'll take care of you. I'll bless you. I'll protect you. It's the only place in the Bible where where God throws a gauntlet down and says, test me on it. And I've said before, finances, it is the final frontier. It It is the hardest one to bring in line. But I challenge you, put God to the test. Give God the the first fruits, that first 10%. And anybody that's ever done this, and I've had many conversations through the years, I'll tell people, say, you know what? If you are faithful on your end, and God doesn't keep his promise after a reasonable amount of time, sometimes I'll have someone, uh, they'll say, Wow, we're about to go under. We're going to start tomorrow. And then I say in the next week, they go, it just didn't work out. Well, okay. Reasonable amount of time. Then step away from it. Because if you keep your promise and God doesn't, you don't need it. But I, I will tell you that for Cindy and I, that, that was a starting point for us, was giving God those first fruits. Given that that 10% right out, out of the front. And through the years, we've continued to amp that up, to take it up. And I would tell you now that it's not so much a exercise of faith. In fact, Cindy, I think, would tell you especially that she finds it kind of fun, exciting. Because the, the sense is, okay, God, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now in our lives? What's next? What's coming down the the pike for us? Isaiah raises a question. He says, why spend money on what does not satisfy? That one right there is the main reason people get in debt. Spending money on stuff that doesn't satisfy. Looking for things to satisfy. If I get this, I'll be happy Things don't give permanent satisfaction. In fact, they just mess up your finances. I believe when we're on that track, life gets out of control, doesn't it? It's not in line with, with God's purpose. And I have said throughout my ministry that if you're struggling with your finances. You don't need a financial manager in your life. You need a life manager. You know, Jesus said, happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. God will satisfy them what? Fully. Friends, satisfaction comes from knowing who God created you to be. Satisfaction comes from from knowing God, from loving God, from being loved by God. So regardless of whether we're in a recession or whatever they're calling it these days, 
or we're in times of great financial growth, you find satisfaction because you're tethered to God. Satisfaction is not built by looking at your checking account or your savings account or your annual income. It is built by a relationship with Jesus Christ and with God. God will help you. God will help you put Him first in every area of your life if you just let Him. And I believe when you finally get that, then you find that satisfaction that you've been looking for. Now, I don't know why God chose finances to be kind of the acid test. But He did. Jesus said, so, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? See, I believe God looks at you and me, and He says, so how are you doing with your finances? You know, which principle do you find you're violating in your life? I challenge you to just ask God to help you with it. You know, to ask God to help you start keeping good records. You know, budgeting. Quit blowing money where you don't need to blow it. You know, ask God to, to help you plan your spending in life so that you don't give in to the impulsive buying and the things that just take you down a, a very dark road. You know, ask God to, to help you start saving for the future so that you can accumulate little by little that, that nest egg that you're going to need at retirement or that rainy day. You know, ask God to help you enjoy what you got, to be content, to just say, God, this is what I've got. It may be a lot, it may be a little, maybe in between, but God, I want to be happy with what I have and let God work with that. You know, ask God to help you start giving back the the tithe out of gratitude and in faith. And hear me, all five of these things are important. It's kind of the uh, nickel defense of finances. Go Steelers. Um, I would encourage you to sign up for the Financial Peace University. Uh, Dave Ramsey's an incredible teacher. They're going to be using the, the DVDs with that. Uh, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. And I, I've been thinking about this for, for a while um, because I know, I know how this goes. Some of you are going, mm, that sounds like it's a pretty good thing. But I, I don't know. It's, a, it's $100 to take the class. Covers workbooks and budgets and all the things that you need. You, it's one of those that people go, I don't know. I'm not sure it's worth it. And I'm going to just say to you today, if that's where you're at, if you sign up and you attend the classes, there's 13 of them, if you attend those and when you get done, you go, man, that was not worth 100 bucks. I will personally give you your $100 back. In fact, I believe you come to two or three sessions, you will feel like you've made out. It's that, that's, it's that good. I'd encourage parents 
you know, if you've got kids, maybe they're young, uh, single, maybe newly married or been going for a few years, you might think about giving them a great gift. It's one of the greatest gifts you, you can give to someone and just invest in their future. You know, give them the tools for financial freedom. If your kid's still in the house and you're afraid they're never leaving, <laughs> you might invest in them. <laughs> We're going to preview uh, following this service. It's 25 minutes. It'll be well worth your time. There's no commitment. It gives you a chance to see. We'll do that again next week. Because I think it's important you understand what you're signing up for. 13 weeks, it's a chunk of time. But I guarantee you it'll be worth it. Let's stand and have a word of prayer. Our glorious God, we praise you. God, we thank you. God, finances, money, sometimes it's so complicated. God, we have all been at places where everything gets out of whack. But God, I pray that we would we would honor you. That we would handle our finances well. God, I pray that you give us strength. That you would give us wisdom that we could look and just honestly Say, okay, here's some things I need to grow in. Some things that need to change. God, I know there are some that the burden's heavy today. God, I pray that instead of them feeling like there's more weight on their shoulders, that they would see there's a way out. No matter how bad it is, can straighten out with some hard work and labor. God, we praise you. We thank you. Help us be the people you created us to be and have called us to be. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.